You know those conversations that begin with a discussion about one topic and then hack and slash through a jungle of unknown territory to arrive at a destination completely indistinguishable from the original point? Well, this episode is a bit like that. It starts at a traffic light. Where it ends up, I've got no idea. In practically all countries that have traffic lights, there are three main color signals. Red for stop, orange for a warning, and green for go. But why? Not all countries agree on what different colors mean culturally. In China, for example, red symbolizes happiness and luck, whereas the majority of the rest of the world sees red as anger or danger. It also can't be for color blindness, as the most common type is red-green, making all of the signals look like a stack of rotten lemons. So then how, across every country and every culture, we have the same colors for stop and go on a traffic light? Well, it's in part due to a very snowy afternoon in the countryside of England 146 years ago. In the late 19th century, railway systems had a sort of primitive traffic light. It consisted of a wooden arm, a lamp, and a red transparent lens. The lens, when moved in front of the lamp, unsurprisingly made it glow red, which signaled danger, or stop. And when the lens wasn't in front of the lamp, it glowed white, which signaled all clear. The problem here is that if the arm didn't function properly and the lens failed to move in front of the lamp, it would mean the signal was wrong. This exact thing happened in England in 1876. Heavy snow buildup on the arm prevented it from moving the lens in front of the lamp, and so a train sailed past causing two collisions, which resulted in 13 people dead and 59 people injured. In the following years, arguments were made against the use of white lights being used, as they could be confused with a different light on the horizon, or, as we saw, a broken lens or broken arm. When it came time to decide some new colours, it only made sense to pick colours that contrasted heavily to make sure they were distinct against each other at high speeds or during the daytime. This is how we ended up with red for stop, orange for danger, and green for go. Well, unless you're from Japan, Among the vibrant, bustling streets of Japan, traffic lights hang horizontally over the roads. On the far right is red, yellows in the middle, and on the left, to signal go and release the tension from a wave of Toyotas, Hondas and Suzukis, is the colour blue. When Japan was writing their traffic light laws, they went to follow the international standard just like the rest of the world. They wrote Aka for red and Kiro for yellow, but when they got to green there was a bit of an issue. Traditional Japanese doesn't really have a word for basic green, because in Japan green is just a shade of blue. So the colour for Go on a traffic light in Japan is Ao, or blue. 
Modern Japanese does now have a word for green. It's Medido, but very few people seem to use it. So when you're in Japan and you see a vendor is advertising crisp, sour blue apples or tours to see rigid, towering blue mountains of the Japanese countryside, don't get your hopes up. They're just green. Traditional Japanese didn't only lack a word for green, but also most basic colours that English has. Japanese traditionally actually has only four basic colours. White, black, red, and of course blue. In English we have 11 basic colours, in Russian there are 12. The extra one? It's essentially just light blue. Wobe, one of the many languages from the Côte d'Ivoire in West Africa, has even less colours than Japan. They only have three. White, black, and red. Words for colours in languages tend to develop in quite a consistent order. First, languages develop colours for black and white, like the language of the Piraha people in Brazil, who only have two words to describe colours as either light or as dark. When languages develop a third colour, they tend to add red. Next comes yellow or green, or vice versa, and then blue, before they start filling in the more nuanced colours, like brown, orange, and purple. Most of us tend to cut the coloured spectrum ribbon in the same places. Almost every language has a word for black, white, and red. But it just so happens that some languages tend to make more cuts than others. The thing is, there's no right way to do it. Japan's language is no more correct than English or Wobe, because after all, every word is made up. Most things in the universe exist with complete disregard to how we want them to. Gravity, time, light, wasps, they all exist at a fundamental level outside of our design. We can manipulate them and change them and use them to our advantage, but we're still playing with laws that we didn't write ourselves. Some things though are in that control, and these things are called conventions. Conventions are things that we have complete control over. They are weapons against the chaos of the universe. What colours have words and what those words even are, are conventions, because we decide them completely independently of any universal force or law acting against us. Most languages have a word for the colour that blood is. For us it's red, in Japanese it's aka, in Russian it's krasny. These are all the same colour, but with completely different words. There's no correct word for anything. No word or name belongs to a thing by nature, but only by the way we name it. And it's in our best interest to do it this way, because if any of us want to understand each other, we need to agree on what words refer to what things in the physical world. If you and I both speak English, and I was to tell you that it's raining outside, you would understand that you probably shouldn't adventure without a jacket or an umbrella. If you spoke a different language, then the word rain might mean something different to you, or maybe nothing at all. Even within the same languages, people tend to use different words for the same thing, despite them being fundamentally identical. Take the jandal, for example, which is what it's called in New Zealand. 
In Australia, they call them thongs. Brits call them flip-flops. And in the Philippines, they're called slippers. And sometimes the same word can have completely different meanings. The word angel in English, for example, means a spiritual servant of God or someone of exemplary behavior. In German, it means fishing rod. And in Dutch, it means sting. Another kind of convention are measurement conventions, which sounds kind of suspicious because measurements are supposed to be real facts about the universe regardless of who you are or what you want those measurements to be. A very common daily measurement that all of us use is time. Time comes in many flavors, seconds, minutes, hours, and so on. These measurements are so grounded in our everyday convention that it seems impossible for them to be made by anything other than objectivity. But time is kind of made up. A second is not a fundamental natural occurrence, and neither is a minute or an hour. They are just divisions of time that we cut up for the sake of convenience and communication. We track the rising and setting sun and how many laps we do of it. But there is nothing by nature splitting them into what we call days and years. Meters and kilometers are also arbitrary, so are kilograms and liters. In America, a different conventional system is often used, where they measure distance in feet and miles, weight in ounces and pounds, and volume in gallons. Neither the imperial or the metric system is any more right or wrong than the other one is. The only trouble is when they try and communicate with each other. How many meters does a foot make? How many gallons are in a liter? Very few conventions are indeed universal, which is what makes it so hard to effectively communicate with someone whose conventional framework originated in a place different from your own. Because different conventions have different colors, different languages and different words, different methods of measurement, but also different social conventions. Many social conventions, unlike language or measurement, have no written guide. They are unexplicitly agreed upon by the people of any given population, and we follow them so as not to meet the wrath of public upset. For example, there is no rule indicating how far you should stand away from someone when you're speaking to them, or no rule saying you should not slam the door on strangers or use your manners or to wear a suit to a wedding. If you don't follow these socially set, unwritten rules, then you won't end up in prison or anything, but people will likely treat you differently because of it. Social conventions often conform to space and time. At the movies, for example, it is pretty widely considered unacceptable to rupture the immersion and talk or text during the movie. But when you're out at dinner, you can barely hear the sound of your own thoughts over the voices of people gossiping and reminiscing with each other. In the morning, as the sun streaks through the blinds at your local cafe and bar, it is far more acceptable to order a bitter coffee or a steaming cup of tea than a whiskey or a cocktail to break the morning edge. Once again, just like color and language and measurement, social conventions vary widely across different cultures and the world. 
Look at tipping culture, for example. It's a foundational part of exchanges in North America, but in others it is practically unheard of to tip people. In many romance cultures, like in Latin America and in France, kissing people on the cheek is a pretty standard social greeting, even with strangers, but in many other cultures you'd likely be met with a slap. None of these sacred, unwritten social conventions are punishable by law. Actually, as it turns out, law is also a type of social convention. When you think about it, even laws exist in a reality separated from the physical universe, because they too are regular, unspoken social conventions, except these ones will be punished if you don't follow them. For example, drinking alcoholic drinks when you're under a certain age is illegal in almost every single country in the world, but it isn't the same age in every country. In Germany, the minimum age is 16 years old, in most of the world it's 18 years old, but in the United States it's 21 years old. I'm not saying that these ages are completely randomly chosen, because the increased dangers that alcohol can have on young people are very well known. And that's the thing with conventions, they aren't completely random. It makes sense for languages to divide colour up into its most distinct parts, it's better to have 10 words for 10 distinct colours than 10 words for 10 different shades of pink. It also makes a lot of sense to divide the days up into the first sunrise to the next one. And it makes sense to have made up enforceable laws to keep us safe from ourselves and from each other. Take driving for example. Driving is inherently very dangerous, we are piloting very heavy vehicles at very high speeds around mazes of very narrow roads. So countries make up clear road rules that, while completely made up, do a great job at letting millions of complete strangers cooperate as they get from A to B. And that is why you can drive up to any traffic light on any road in any country and know that red means stop, orange means warning, and that green, or blue, means go.